My message this morning is in the form of a question. It's not one you haven't heard. It's not one that you have not read. But it's about the subject of faith. And somebody might say, why do you talk about faith so much? Because I don't see enough of it. I don't see enough of it. Faith is a common word in the Christian language. We use it all the time. But so many times the word faith for the average churchgoer is a word that identifies their way of believing and their church and all of that. We are the Catholic faith and, or the Baptist faith and all of that without knowing a whole lot about what that means. Because faith is a life you live. It's a way you live. It's the highest form of life that a Christian can live on this earth is by faith. By living as though something you can't see is true, living in anticipation of something you believe for that hasn't happened, that is going to happen, and acting like what God said is going to come to pass. There's not a lot of people that do that, but that's the way we're supposed to live. And I think the way you get that into the hearts of people, at least from my side, from my call and where I'm positioned in the church, is, is to teach on those things, to preach on those things, to keep calling our attention to this subject of faith. The question today is, the title of the message is, Hast Thou Faith? That comes from Romans. You don't have to turn to it. I'll quote it for you. Romans 14 at the end of the chapter, a chapter about relationships, a chapter about don't try to make people like you and, and intimidate others and that with some other things. He ended the chapter by saying, hast thou faith in verse 22? He says, have it to yourself before God. Happy is the man that condemneth not himself in the things that he alloweth or what your convictions are. But the question is, without going into the context, hast thou faith? I ask you this morning, do you have faith? I'm sure you do. I'm absolutely sure that you do. I mean, we all believe something. There are some things that have a greater influence and impact in our life than other things do. We want to have faith as God wants us to have it. Remember he said in Mark 11:22, he said, have faith in God. I mean, it's something we can't have. It's the way we're supposed to live. And so we keep bringing that to our attention because Jesus spoke about faith so much. I mean, he was constantly referencing, like in Mark 11:22, he had cursed the fig tree. The fig tree had died. I mean, when he cursed it, it didn't look dead, but it was dead. It just showed its death later on. And then he said... In verse 24, what things ever you desire, when you pray, believe. One other time, Lord, why couldn't we cast this demon out? He said, because of the littleness of your faith. In the back of the boat asleep, he said, how is it when they woke him up in the storm? He said, how is it you have no faith? And then four times he says, oh, you have little faith. He uses faith in so many situations and had it all recorded. God could have recorded a lot of things, and, and he gave us what he wanted us to know and what he wanted us to hear. And this is one of the major subjects in the New Testament church is faith. Yet it's made so little of. It's not important today. Most people, I think, are talked out of it. It's not a big deal. You ought to, you should, but if you don't, it's okay. And the Bible doesn't say that. 
Because you see, the other question I wanted you to ask was in Luke 18, 8, Jesus said, when the Son of Man returns, and he's coming back. The question he asked, whether you're young or whether you're older, he said, will he find faith? He's certainly going to find music. He's going to find meetings, organizations, plans, things that people are busy and active doing. He didn't ask if the church would be like that. He said, when he comes, will he find faith? Will he find his people approaching him, desiring information about what he wants them to do and how he wants them to do it and a willingness to do that? Will he find that? Or will he find just a lot of giddy, excited people in some extravagant buildings like ours? looking for something new and exciting to do. The question is simply, will he find faith? Not will he find wise, shrewd, and clever men designing ways to get people in the church, but will he find faith? Will he find people who are trusting him and believing him? You see, the other big sentence about faith to me is, without faith, he said in Hebrews 11, it's impossible to please him. Now, if you stop and think about it, I know we've heard this before, but think about it. Of all the things that Christians are trying to do, trying to maybe invent or design, the only way we can please God is not with some new, it's by faith. It's, it's just believing him. It's letting go of all of you and turning to him and say, what do you want me to do? That's what I want to do. No more, no less. I want to do what you want me to do. I want to live your way. That's what Christianity is. It's living on Christ's terms. It takes faith to do that because such a challenge in this life. It is so easy to go from one church to another church because you don't like the way this or that. But what it comes down to is, did you have faith? Do you have faith? You can't please him without it. Your talents can't please God if it's not coupled with faith. So we need to talk about faith and preach about faith, I would say. Because Jesus said, if you have faith and doubt not. He mentioned a tree. That a tree you could, by its roots and thrown away, a mountain be removed and thrown into the sea. Faith. He said, if thou canst believe, remember Mark 9? He said, nothing is impossible. Well, who believes that today? It seems like we've gotten a lot of heady people to tell us, well, what Jesus meant by that wasn't what you think he said. And so I'm looking at that and somebody's talking me out of it. You might as well tell me that faith doesn't work. It doesn't do any of that. Jesus said it would. We languish in this world with a Bible full of promises. We're afraid of so many things. We're afraid of the money problem. We're afraid of dying. We're afraid of disease. We're afraid of the stalker by night. We're just so ingrained with fear. And yet you go to the word and there's a promise against all of that that we can hold to. And yet, if you hold on to that promise, even the church thinks you're nuts. So you're going to be alone in this walk. You're not going to be understood. There are many people that are going to try to talk you out of your faith.
at least they did me early on. But you've got to have it. Remember Wednesday night, if you were here, he told what two blind men, be it unto you according to what? Your faith. He didn't do that to everybody. Some of me laid hands on, some of me healed, but he said to these, be it unto you according to your faith. He says that to us. Be it unto you this morning. That anxiety you're having about your, your family, your son, your daughter, your money, taxes, whatever it is that's such a big deal, God has a word for you. It's in the Bible. Well, I've heard that and I've read that, but no. See, that's our problem. We let ourselves get by with not doing anything about what he said. We don't choose to take God at his word. We read his word. We know he could. We know he has. We've read that, but we're not sure he'll do it for us. And therefore, out of fear, we hold back. And that's not the way a church ought to be. God's people ought to be called faithful. In fact, at the end of your life, God should be able to say to you, well done, Thou good and faithful servant. Not faithful to a system of man, some religious organization, but faithful to him. That's the ultimate blessing at the end of life is for God to say, well done, thou good and faithful servants. So it's no wonder then, having put so much emphasis on faith, that the apostles one day said to Jesus, they said, Lord, increase our faith. You talk about it so much. You reference it so much. Lord, make our faith bigger. Make us to be faithful so we're always there where we ought to be. You remember the story in Luke 17? And he wound up, I think, in verse 10 of that chapter. He said, when you've done everything you're supposed to do, you're still an unprofitable servant. Because I think a lot of people get the idea that if you have faith, you can, man, if you can move mountains and move trees and you can have all your prayers answered, boy, you'll be in high demand. You'd be big Charlie Potatoes in the church or you'd be an important person in the church. Excuse me. Boy, everybody would look up to you. But Jesus said, wait a minute. Before you start thinking that way, faith is not designed to make you popular. Faith is not designed to make you somebody that everybody aspires to be like. Your faith is to make you pleasing to God, to make you reliable to God, to make you the kind of person that God can use knowing that you won't turn back. Your faith will do that, not to make you somebody important. He said, you know, when you've done everything you're supposed to do in this life, all those people you witnessed to, all the sermons you preached, all the time you spent praying and praying for various people and all the labor and spiritual matters that you've encountered in your life. He said, you were supposed to. You have only done what was required of you, what you were supposed to do. You have no boast. You have no something you can brag about. You've only done what you're supposed to do. You might say, Lord, since I got a hold of this faith, I've been without medicine for 15 years. You're supposed to be without medicine for 15 years. If the word of healing works, does it not? It does. It works, folks, and even it repairs. 
because all of us have been in some way torn and shattered and battered and twisted. Isn't it wonderful he keeps bringing us back? Giving us a solution again and again and again, and one day it connects. And boy, you're on your knees saying you're sorry, but God brings a restoration back and puts you back up on your feet, and you're back in here without condemnation. You're back on your faith walk. Well, that's what God wants. So what motivates me this morning? What motivates you sitting here today? What motivates you to want to have the kind of faith that God wants? Say, well, I want to please him. Let's go deeper than that. A lot of us want to have more faith and want to have a greater faith than we have. Because as we read in the Bible about the kind of faith that he wants, we realize that, well, I'm not quite there. I'm aware of my fear. I'm keenly aware of my uncertainty. That I shouldn't be scared. I shouldn't be afraid. You know, you're getting older now. You know, when you get older, you're supposed to break down and, and you're not supposed to function right anymore. You're supposed to get all whatever. And, you know, man, you know, you're already 45 years old. You're thinking, man, 45. That was a long time ago. But all the things that people tell you, you know, when you get older, even the Bible talks about the evil days. You know, you can't taste food, you can't hear, you can't see. That's not an abnormal life, but it doesn't have to be like that, depending on what you believe. Jesus said, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you'll get it. All things whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing, he said in Matthew 21, you shall receive. There's hope. I don't have to assign myself, well, you know, I'm almost 65 now, and I guess... I might as well resign myself to this. That's not an exciting outlook for me. That's kind of like, dum-dum-dum. So you ask yourself, is there anything in the Bible here about getting older? And he says, yeah. In your assurance policy, remember the 91st Psalm? The very last verse, the 16th verse, he says, with long life will I satisfy is a nice word. Satisfy doesn't mean with long life I will finally drag him through. No, he said, with long life will I satisfy. I think a man, when he comes to the end and he knows it or a woman when we reach the end of our time, I think we'll know it. I think we'll sense it. And if we stop and look back at our life and take stock, if you've been living by faith now, if you've been just enjoying the walk, putting up with the battles, fighting the good fight, casting your care over, all of that, when you come to that time of the end and you know it's done, you begin to count your blessings. You begin to look back in your past. You begin to think, you know, here, he was there, he was here, he was there, and there, and there, and there, and he did this, he did that. He supplied all of your needs, gave you the desires of your heart. You never lacked for anything. That's what he promised. I latched on to the reality of that, even though it wasn't real yet. Years ago, and lived, confessing that all my life, 
and one day you look around, it came to pass. It's happened. I mean, if you gave me anything, it, it wouldn't make it better. I don't need anything. And I know preachers aren't supposed to say that. But it's true. Would you say good measure? Uh, something like that, yeah. A life that's satisfied. A life that has come to its completion God's way. And all a man can do is he stand before God and smile and say, with all of my heart, thank you. You are exactly who you said you are. You have done exactly what you said you would do. And a lot of people I've known my whole life said this won't work. And you did it anyway. That's my message. That's what I want God's people to see. One of the things that motivates me is my obvious lack of faith. I want more than what I have. Again, only because there's more to be had. There's a deeper dimension. There's a greater walk, a more intense walk, a more peaceful and joyful walk that results when you have faith in everything you're doing. And that's the kind of life I think that I want. I think that's what you want. Okay, you say, I want it. Let's say we're convinced this morning that a bunch of you say, you know, I don't have the kind of faith I'm supposed to have. I can see I don't. I mean, I can see where I've been fearful and afraid and turned back and didn't listen. And that message bothers me. I've been there. Okay. I want it. I'm just going to take a deep breath, suck it up, and say, okay, I want a life on God's terms. I want to live according to what he said. I want what he's promised to be what I receive. I want the direction he points me in to be the direction I'm willing to go. If it means walking on water, walking through the valley, or whatever it is, I want that. My life is not mine anymore. I've been bought with a price and so forth. So, okay. Okay, preacher. I want it. Now, tell me how I get it. Now, this is the easiest message in the whole Bible. Faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the word not hearing what I've done and how great I've been or how great you were and how great and what you went to do, how it turned out. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. We have listened to great men and faithful men in our lives and aspired to be like them. And their testimony inspired us. And boy, we could just have his faith or her faith. The object of my faith is not somebody who was blessed of God. The object of my faith is a word. It's the word of God. That's where God points all of us. You don't believe what I say because I say it. You know, I'm nobody's conscience. Search the scriptures and see if this is in the Bible. That's all you have to believe. Because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Are you willing to pay the price to hear the word? I think you are. I believe you are. If you want to hear the word, you'll have to go where the word is spoken. You will. I'm not saying this is the only place you can go. You know better than that. But you're going to have to hear it. You're either going to have to read it and be inspired as you read it that God will make the words become a conviction 
or you're going to have to hear somebody talking, preaching, or teaching. Somebody's going to have to say something to you that inspires you, that uplifts you. And a motivational speaker can do that. You know, a motivational speaker can quote the Bible. I read a book once called The Power of Positive Thinking by Dr. Norman Vincent Peale, and it was full of scripture. But it was more psychological than it was scriptural because anybody could use this. You could take a heathen or a, an upcoming CEO. He could read this book and quote the Bible and have success in life. God never intended his book to be a motivational book for the worldly people. The worldly man doesn't understand this. Man has to give him an interpretation that pleases him in order for him to think he understands the Bible. And when people try to use the Bible to advance themselves without really believing the Bible, to be kind this morning, that's not good. That's not good. But if you're going to hear the Bible, if you're going to hear the words, you're going to, I think you're going to have to hear somebody teach on it. And even when you hear somebody preach things that inspire you and uplift you or get you all excited or if you're Pentecostal, get you on your feet and running, or if you're an intellectual who can stimulate your thinking, Whatever it is you're hearing that kind of triggers something inside of you, you need to make sure that what you're hearing is the Word of God. Not all these fancy words spoken today are the words of God. They may contain the words of God, but they may also contain words of man. Again, that's one of your requirements. Search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures. Go home and search the scriptures. Are you hearing the truth or are you hearing some motivational speaker? What are you hearing? You got to search the scriptures and make sure that what you're hearing is true. See, God put teaching gifts in the church. Remember that? He has sent some in the church, apostles and prophets and evangelists, pastors and teachers. Sometimes pastor and teacher go together, not always. One man that I actually knew who was a pastor who was a terrible teacher, but he saw to it that his church was taught. And he had guys that could teach in his church, and they did. He simply made sure they were all there and everybody was happy and, and contented and coming to church. But he made sure they were fed, and occasionally he would teach. But God puts teaching gifts in the church. They're not to entertain you. They're not even to make you feel good. They're not to make you feel better about yourself. See, those two spirits of this age, happiness and that's it. God isn't here to try to make you happy. That's not what the purpose of what I'm doing now. Really, all I'm doing is giving you information as God has given it to me or as I understand it. You have to determine whether that's God or not. But if, if you're ever going to have faith in God, what you're hearing has got to be the word of God. You don't have to be a good preacher. You don't have to be good with words. You don't have to be eloquent. All you have to be is anointed. Because God could take the least of us, anoint that person, stand up here, stumble over words, and you would hear what God was saying. We don't have to try to make... Man, I've got to get me some new way to do No. 
You simply need to trust and let God do his work through you. Whoever you are, there's preachers in here. There's guys in here that don't even know they're preachers yet. In the time left in this world, he's going to use you. But just remember, when you go out there and preach the word, quit trying to make a name for yourself or impress people. Just in season or out of season, preach the word. Just say what the scripture says. And trust God that he will make people hear what he wants them to hear that you're trying to say. If your heart's right and your motivation is right, God will make everything the way it's supposed to be. But God set in his assembly teachers. I would suppose that these are men who study, and they are. Men who study and have a, uh, we often call it a knack a gift of some sort. They're able to put things together better than other people. We can all teach our neighbor and our children and so forth, but not everybody has a gift. Not everybody is able to stand and go for how long you teach and bring a message. But God puts in the church people that have a message. Now that's where your faith is going to come from. It's not just somebody anywhere, but where there is a man that has heard from God whose heart is right with the Lord and whose desire is simply to speak the words of God, that's where you're going to get your faith. That's where it's going to come from. That's where your convictions will come from. That's what will stir us all up and make us go, man, or how much longer is he going to do this? God begins to move words God takes words. Words come into your mind. Your mind assimilates those words. Those words become real to your heart. Now your conscience comes into play. Ooh, now you get convicted. Now you can't escape the fact that you know what the truth is. And he that knoweth to do good and doeth it not to him it is sin. Because once you know what God has said, there's something in your heart that requires you to live that way. And we think, I'm too young. I have to give up something to live that way. I have to walk away from some lifestyle or something. Maybe you will. But that lifestyle will kill you because God will judge you for it. He's sparing you. So if somebody says that, words like that come to your heart. You listen to that. That might not even be what the preacher said, but what you heard sounded like that to you, and you're there going, oh, God. And isn't the devil close by to say, yeah, but that won't work for you? Remember you tried that? I heard that once in my life. You've already had your chance. Remember when you were in college, your freshman year of college? Yeah. Well, now here you go again. Now here we go again. You know it won't work. It won't work because the first time you get around your old buddies, you're back where you were. It won't work for you. Let's face it. It doesn't work for everybody. Hey, Hamilton, just go to church. Be as good a guy as you can. Quit worrying about being holy. God knows you're just a person. Come on, man. Take it easy. Enjoy the ball game. And, boy, you start thinking like that. If somebody talks to me like that and I start thinking, well, then this conviction I'm feeling, I don't have to have it. This conscience that bothers me, maybe it's overdone. That's called being seared. And boy, somebody is talking me out of it. 
Now, that's the danger of being in the wrong place, listening to what satisfies your flesh and not what God is saying to you. Turn to the Old Testament for just a moment. Turn to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 3 and verse 17. I believe this is what God would say concerning us hearing the word of the kind of people he wants you to hear it from. He said, son of man, I have made thee a watchman. What do you think a watchman is? Is he just a watchman? He's somebody that looks for any kind of danger, any kind of a problem. The people are asleep. The watchman on his watch is watching out and seeing where, if there's anybody that we need to be concerned about, anybody coming, anything out there. He's got his weapons, and he's ready to fight. He's a watchman. Now, God said, Son of man, I have made you a watchman. And he said at the end of that verse, therefore, what did he say to you? Therefore what? Hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Notice the last part. It's one thing to be a watchman or to think you're a watchman or to call yourself a watchman. Watchman Ministries International. It's one thing to label yourself a watchman. But here's what a watchman does. When he's truly a watchman, he says, hear the word from my mouth. How does he hear it? Well, he has to be somewhere God can speak to him, doesn't he? There has to be something stirring in him that says, God, speak to me. If you don't speak to me, I don't have anything to say to them except back what man says. That's not going to make them the way they should be. The only thing that's going to make these people the way they should be is you giving me a word. The Lord, guide me, guide my mind, guide my thinking, direct my thoughts. When I am alone and I am still and my mind is not being cluttered with all that going on in this world, I ask you to speak to me. Or if when I'm alone and I'm reading the Bible, cause something to jump off the page at me. Something, Lord, that I know you're saying to me. I think that is the nature and the heart of a spiritual watchman. It's a desire to hear from God so they can take that word like food and feed or warn God's people. Because if they don't, he goes on to say in this chapter, if they don't, if he doesn't warn the people and the enemy comes and takes them away, he said, they will die in their iniquity, but I will require their blood at your head. So if he's a watchman, he's got an obligation on the behalf of God to oversee God's people and warn them. He can't make you overcome. He can simply tell you you should. Or look in chapter 33. In verse 7, it says the same thing. Chapter 33 and verse 7, he says, So thou, son of man, I have set thee a watchman unto the house of Israel. Therefore thou shalt hear the word at my mouth and warn them from me. Let me overemphasize again. Hear the word at my mouth. How do we get faith? Faith comes how? 
Not by hearing from a man, not by my clever interpretations or ideas, but from simply the word of God. Isn't it right? So if what you're hearing doesn't come from God, where's it coming from? It's coming from man. And man's best day, man's best hour will not get you in heaven. Because man will tell you, people that go to church and try and do well, and, you know, they may not be what they ought to be yet, but they're too good to go to hell. Hell's not for people like that. And therefore, you draw back and say, well, maybe I need to quit trying so hard because I'm not a bad person. I'm not bad enough to go there. And they say, you know, you cave in. Instead of pressing in, you cave in. You give up. The basic needs for all Christian people, the basic need for all Christian people, you, me, and anybody else, is to hear what God is saying. Because what God is saying tells us what we can expect him to do. And if we preach the word, that's what he'll do. If he said he will heal your diseases, he will. Well, what about this and what about that one? What about that one? I mean, you point to me, all those that didn't get it, you want to. But I'm going to go back and say, but what about the promise? Has God failed? Did he say no when, after he said yes? Is God teasing us, misleading us, or deceiving us? Is God telling us to do something we can't do or believe something that's over our heads? That's not fair. Or maybe it's been there all the time and we've just tried to get around it or somebody's told us that something else. No, sir, God's word is true. Preach the word only. Remember that centurion in Matthew 8 said to Jesus? He said, speak the word only. You don't need to come to my house. Jesus said, I'll come. He said, you don't have to. I'm not one of those that needs your presence. You don't need to come to my house. You don't need to touch anybody. You don't need to pray over any, anybody. All you need to do is while we're standing here, you speak the word and my servant will be healed. Jesus said, I haven't found that kind of faith in all of Israel. A Gentile. Another time it was another Gentile, a Syrophoenician woman. He marveled at her faith. One of the two, one got marveled at and one got, I haven't seen such. One of those two. Neither one were Jewish. I mean, the door is open this morning for whoever has this hunger that God put there, this urge and desire to hear what he has to say, coupled with a willingness, Lord, I'll do it. If that's what you want, I'll do it. Well, what about then? What about then the lack of watchmen? What happens to a church if you don't have watchmen? What happens? Let me show you what happens. This is not much of a compliment to these people, but it's in the Bible. So Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56 and verse 10. He said concerning his watchmen, we call them, his watchmen are blind. Does it say that? Now we got a problem already. His watchmen are blind. And he said, they are all ignorant. That's not good. If you got a watchman that's blind and ignorant, you're in trouble. <laughs> you are. 
It's worse when it goes to the third one. They're all dumb dogs. This is the language that God uses to describe the awful state that people are in when what they're hearing turns them away from God or undoes all of God's way for their life. <laughs> Notice the three things he said here. He said they're blind. The Bible speaks of blindness a lot. But to be spiritually blind doesn't mean you don't have an opinion or an idea or you can put a verse together in some way that wows people, but it's just simply you can't see what God is saying. It doesn't connect. You have eyes to see, but you can't see. You can think about it all you want to, but like the book of Proverbs says, you don't understand it. You don't perceive it. You don't connect. You, like I was, sit in church your whole life, listen to sermons every Sunday for years, 28 years old, and never meant anything except the one weekend that conviction started coming. Why? I don't know. Being a basketball coach and all of those kind of things and life ahead of you was 28 years old. You're bulletproof. And then one Sunday, it started. Conviction. Your preacher just had a double space, three sheets of sermon type. So I used to look at some of them. I might as well have been looking at the Zodiac or something. It didn't make any sense to me. But one weekend, at some point, it started. And I couldn't get it out of my mind. Ball games, running around, hunting, my friends and buddies and trying to party and play. I couldn't get it out of my mind. And then another event happened, which brought to conclusion the day that I got saved. That's the way God does. He left you alone in your uncleanness and in your immorality, in your stupidity. And one day, while you were blind to spiritual truth, he opened one of your eyes or opened them both a little bit. And you saw a truth you'd never seen before. And it overwhelmed you. Oh, God. And I'm going to a party tonight and I had to hear that. That happens to us. Amen. God knows where you were going, knows what you've been doing, knows what you're planning to do. And he gives you some light and gives you something else to think about besides yourself. Amen. And what you're thinking about when you think about yourself is not good. It's not good. It's death. But God's people, if they rob me of the truth... If the preacher doesn't have any light, if what he is preaching is psychological or psychology or something that's inspiring but not scriptural, if he's liberal-minded spiritually, God said, your watchmen are blind. And what happens when the blind lead the blind? They both fall into a ditch. It's not like God kept them from falling into a ditch. You got a chance not to go into the ditch. You just need to make sure what you're hearing is the truth. If you don't want to do that and you're going to follow him, well, he's got a good education. I'm going to, now surely he's right. Then you'll go in the ditch with him if he's going into the ditch. The second thing he said, they're ignorant. They never put much emphasis up on study. Knowing scriptural truth never was a big deal. 
maybe reading a lot of books about the Bible, what other people said about a verse of Scripture, spending a lot of time with that without a lot of time with the verse, with the book, with the time, with the theology of it, to where you're ingrained. This gets in your system, and you think like this. If you don't have that, he said they're ignorant. They're ignorant. How many of you know that's not a compliment? In Kentucky, we might call ignorant, ignorant, but it's ignorant. And then he said, thirdly, you're a bunch of dumb dogs. Oh, my goodness. What is a dumb dog? He can't bark. You'd be surprised how many verses in the Bible had to do with a dog. I mean, when the last chapter in the Bible talks about those outside heaven are dogs. And there are dogs that cannot bark which means there are these leaders who do not warn people. They probably know you wouldn't like the warning and it might make you feel bad or you might make a bad decision, so I won't say anything about that. God says you're dumb dogs. I put my flock into your care, and you don't care any more about them than to even warn them about stuff that's coming in the world, stuff that's coming in the community, or things that are in your life, people that are saying things you don't need to listen to. He said, you don't care about your people? You're a dumb dog. Because if you don't warn people, then he said, you're a dumb dog. And what's going to happen to these people? They're going to perish. My people are destroyed. The Bible says, my people are destroyed. Why? For lack of knowledge. That's what he said. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. If you don't have that and you're trying to get something else to work for you, God only honors his word, not your ideas. He said, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. Years ago, Bonnie and I coming back from a meeting in Louisville at a little Presbyterian church, very few people there that night. I couldn't understand why. The man preaching was profound to me. I've never heard anything like that before. Here I am, a, a saved man. I am hungry. I really am. That's the only reason I listened to what he was saying, because I was hungry. I listen to anybody, all the radio stations. And I've learned not to do that anymore. But I heard him speak. And what he said to me was profound. I thought, why haven't I heard this before? I've been in church my whole life. Why haven't I heard this? Well, there's a lot of things you probably could have, should have heard you never listened to. But now you're listening. God give you that. You know what? Bonnie and I were driving home, and she said this. I never forgot this. She said, we've been robbed. We began talking about our family trees, her parents, my parents, brothers, uncles, aunts, and all the devastation in the family, everything that God had a remedy for, people accepted it. They just accepted death and whatever came. Died young, died early, didn't enjoy anything hardly that God had for them. They never heard the word. My dad and my brother both died young. Way, way too early. My brother was 63. 63 is like your second wind. And life is over. And I can assure you that all the years that he went to his church, 
He was never inspired to learn what the Bible means. My dad told me once that he was discouraged from reading the Bible himself because he might read it wrong, and that would be a, a mortal sin, I guess. So he never read it. He knew nothing. The system that he was in talked him out of it. He was depending on the system to get him to heaven and all the designs of the system. You do this and you pray this way and you do that and you do this so many times and do that so many and you'll go to heaven. And if you were too bad to go to heaven, light a candle. Because eventually all of you go to heaven because you're only in that perg of something place for so long. My daddy was robbed. My brother was robbed. They were cheated out of truth. They were satisfied setting in a convenient man-made system that made them feel good about themselves. No challenges, no cross, no overcoming. You just go do your thing, give some money, and you're free to do whatever you want to. And if you do something you shouldn't do, get in the box with the old padre and say you're sorry and you come out of there clean. What a terrible, terrible way to end your life. To one day come to the end of your life when nobody can help you now. You're dying. You're dying. You have absolutely nothing you can hold on to. Because you've been robbed of it. You've been denied that stirring of the word that makes you say, oh, preacher. And then at time you've had to wrestle and, oh, man, here we go again. We got to pre going to preach it again, aren't I? You were denied that. You were just told to take your seat, do your thing. You're all right. Hey, this is the biggest system in the world. That's a dumb dog system. Just like he said, they're blind. They made people blind. They were ignorant of the truth. They kept people ignorant. And they didn't warn them of anything. That's what a dumb dog does. He doesn't bark. And that's a terrible thing to happen. Malachi, the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi, here's the problem. It's pretty well defined here. Or if you need me to say it, in my opinion, it is pretty well defined. Malachi chapter 2 and verse 1. Now, here is a message. He said, this commandment is for whom? Who's he talking to? Say priest. All right. And this is Old Testament now. He's talking to his watchmen, his pastors, shepherds, leaders, the ones who convey knowledge to the people. These are the people he's talking to. He said, also, O ye priest." This commandment is for you. And then he goes on to describe, like in verse 5, my covenant with Levi. This is a priestly tribe. These are the ones who would instruct and teach the people. He said, my covenant with him was life and peace. And I gave them to him for the fear with which he feared me. And he feared before my name. He honored me. He wouldn't do anything else. He did what he was supposed to do. He did it the way God wanted him to do it. And then it says this, the law, verse 6, the law of truth was in his mouth and iniquity was not found in his lips. He walked with me in peace and equity 
and did turn many away from iniquity. Is that a good thing? It is. That's what a priest, a leader, a pastor, a teacher, a watchman, an overseer, that's what you're supposed to do. But it all begins with your heart and their needs and God's instruction coming. And he said, in the beginning, the law of truth was in his mouth. The law of truth was in his mouth. Would you like to hear what he had to say? I would. If the law of truth is in his mouth, verse 7, for the priest's lips should keep knowledge. Keep it. You've heard it. You've learned it. Keep it. Don't let it go. What's that verse that we mentioned about the word passing you by? We should give the more, yeah, the more earnest heed the things we have heard lest at any time they what? Slip or pass you by. He said, well, the lips of a priest, just like the lips of the congregation that are being prepared to serve him also, they should keep knowledge and they should seek the law at his mouth. For he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. Now, going back to where I said a while ago about hearing the word, where do I go to hear it? Here would be a good place to go to a place where the messenger has the word of God. He may not be much to look at. Remember Paul, the Bible says his bodily stature is weak. They said about Paul, look at him. He's not much to look at. Paul himself said, my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom. He said that. He said, I know I'm not much to look at. I know I'm not a good speaker. Moses wasn't either. It's almost like God never had so many good speakers. But what you see is what you get. And if you're keen spiritually, God will speak to you through those people. Remember that senator I told you about, that U.S. senator and the storefront? Remember him? Wrestling with a law, get away from everybody, went down Louisville on Shelby Street. He parked his car and got to walk it upstream. He said, I've got to get away from all the noise of people. Remember that? I love that story. A little storefront church and a guy in there was screaming. You know how they do. There's nothing wrong with it. There's Somebody needs that. I've heard some of them preach, and I have heard myself say, man, I wish I could preach like that. I wish I could do what you're doing. You look at him, he, what, eighth grade, three years? <laughs> Lives in a trailer somewhere. Whatever people look down on, whatever they do. And you look at him and they think, well, he ain't much. He doesn't have to be much. He's not required to be much. Only faithful. Amen. And to hear the word. And a guy had a heart. He just laboring in there. And he was putting it out with his whole heart. He was leaving it all there that night. And that senator, that intellectual, highly trained play actor or a senator, he just stopped outside the window and heard a sermon he had never heard in his whole life. Heard something that touched his life like nothing else he had ever heard in all of his refined religious atmosphere. He had never had his heart touched 
like he had that night, and he loathed himself. He knew he needed to get saved, but he knew he couldn't get saved there. Why? Because somebody might hear about it. You went where? You go to what church? Where is it? Down on Shelby? That little... You go there? There's a bunch of winos in there. Yeah. But that guy up front, he's a messenger. He has the word of the Lord. And it may not affect you because you've already predetermined that he has nothing to say to you because he's not on your level. But me, I dismiss myself from levels, and I got a need, and man, God is meeting it to me for me through him. I love that story. I hope that guy did really well wherever he went. Of course, we made the story up, but it's still a good story because <laughs> it has a good message to it. It really does. It really does. It's, it's a wonderful story. But he said, for the lips of a priest should guard and keep knowledge. Now, what happens then when he doesn't? We've already said a few things. Let me close this morning by saying this. Look at verse 8. This is what he said to these priests. said, but you have turned aside from the way. And when you did, here's what happened to your people. You have caused many to stumble by your instruction, and you have corrupted the covenant of Levi, says the Lord of hosts. That's a different translation, but it's the same thing. You have caused many to stumble. What does that mean? Is that saying that what this man was saying was misleading people and they weren't getting it right? They might have enjoyed his message, but it was wrong. And they began to act like what he said was true when what he said was wrong and the people began to stumble because God wasn't honoring that. I don't care how sincere they were. If it's not of God, it doesn't work. There is a way that seems right, but the end of that way is death. So he said, they have corrupted and people have stumbled. What an awful, awful thing for a whole group of people to have finally come to in your life. You've been misled. You've been spoken to the wrong things. You've been walking in darkness. You're corrupted. And by corrupted, he means that you're spoiled. You're ruined. You're like meat that's spoiled. You're corrupt. He said you've stumbled, which means you've been overthrown. Really, the word means to make weak. That's what preaching did to you. That's what the wrong message did to you. Hast thou faith? How could you? Without faith, it's impossible to please God, obviously. Because no longer is faith the issue. It's following a trend following a man, following lofty ideas, some new invention or design. Ha, ah, yeah, woo! And the only way you can keep a crowd like that happy is get a new one every three or four years, get some new invention, some new design. Because if you start preaching the word to them, goodbye. Sunday morning, most churches, you'll have people that go to that church to come there, have a Wednesday night teaching service, and not even a fifth of them will come. I don't want to hear it. I don't need it. And somehow they think it's all right. Somebody has let them know, well, you know, it's not required. You don't have to. Oh, Jesus. 
And he said, you've departed out of the way. How awful, how awful that has to be in the end for God to say, depart from me, you workers. What you're doing, you did it with your heart, but you were workers of iniquity. Iniquity in the sense of serving yourself. Church shouldn't be like that. What we're doing shouldn't end like this. I'd rather you cry and squall and get mad now than to cry and squall and they're not able to get mad later. Amen. The New Testament simply says in this life there's seducing spirits and doctrines of demons and many will depart from the faith because of them. Now let me close this morning with saying this back to the thing about faith. Remember this. We are saved by grace through what? But never does the Bible present faith as a one and done situation. You had faith a long time ago. Remember that night? Oh, I raised my hand. I believe God, therefore I'm saved. No, faith didn't end then. That was only the beginning. You responded and you did what you believed. But you've got a life to live now. Your faith doesn't stop there. It keeps going. Oh, well, now you're saying we've got to be saved by works. I'm saying you're saved by faith. But faith will always do something you can see. It's active. I mean, it's responsive. To say that I believe God 30 years ago and I got drunk last night, you didn't get saved 30 years ago. The faith that saved you 30 years ago is the faith you started living by. Turn to 1 Peter so I can quit. 1 Peter chapter 1. The faith you had all that time ago is the faith you got to keep having. The just shall what? Live by faith 30 years ago? No, he lives by faith all the day, day after day after day. Why? Because he's saved. He responded to God and laid his hands on the plow. Doesn't the Bible say you have to keep them there? You have to leave them on the plow. If you look back, what? Well, don't you think that faith is what's holding the plow? There's no time you can let go and look back and say, I did what I was supposed to do, now I'm all right. There are people who really believe that if you raised your hand in a meeting once or you sat in mama's lap or went forward at a campaign or a big evangelistic meeting, you're all right. You might have started all right, but it didn't end. You've got to live that way now for the rest of your life, one day at a time, the walk of faith. The just shall live by faith, and your faith never stops. What's First Peter 1 say, verse 9? He said, receiving the end of your faith, what? So then faith never ended. It, it began, and it continues until the Lord comes, right? You won't need faith in heaven. What do you have to believe for in heaven? Faith, hope, and love. Remember those three things? Well, faith and hope are for this life. Love is what God is all about forever. You're in that realm in heaven. You won't need to believe that he is. There he is. You won't have to believe that you can. It's already done. And I've never been there, so I, don't, I can't tell you much about it. But receiving the end of your faith, 
it began somewhere. And the implication is just like the hand of the plow. It's a continuing thing. Having faith in God is not a one-time done and you're done thing. It's a continuous thing. We live every day by faith. Every moment of our life is supposed to be a faith life. That's the way it's supposed to be. Do you have faith? Do you know that without faith you can't please him? Do you know that? Where's your heart? Where's your heart? Bow your head. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, cause us to hear what you're saying, Lord, and not what I've said. Cause us to believe what the Spirit of God is showing us and not anything else. Lord God, everybody in this room has a soul. Everybody in this room has a life to live. Everybody lives by choices. We are today what we have chosen to be. And I ask, Lord, that you would give us the power to make the right choices for the rest of our life, to do things right. I pray that you would minister to every need in our church, in our room here, those who listen. Those that are seeking you for healing, Lord, would find it. It would not continue to escape us, but that it would rest upon us here. I pray that your special blessing would rest upon all of us today as we leave and go home, that the word would never grow quiet in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand to your feet? Is exalted, the King is exalted on high. I will praise Him. He is exalted forever, exalted, and I will praise His name. He is the Lord forever, His truth shall reign.
Hallelujah.